Hey, if you guys got your Bibles with you tonight, let's get into Exodus. I know it's hard to believe, but we actually have a Christmas story in Exodus. How do you like that? I can make anything happen. Exodus chapter 30 is where we find ourselves tonight, continuing to go through the, the implements, the parts of the tabernacle. As we take a look, we're going to talk about the last two things uh, that haven't been discussed yet. We're going to talk about the golden altar, and we're going to talk about the bronze labor tonight. So as we take a look, if you join me there, without further ado, we'll begin to dive in. Chapter 30, verse 1, you shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit will be its length and a cubit its width. It will be square. Two cubits shall be its height and its horn shall be one piece with it. You shall overlay its top, its sides, all around its horns with pure gold and you shall make for it a molding of gold all around. As we take a look at that, what we're looking at is a table, 18 inches by 18 inches square, roughly three foot tall, with a crown around the outside. Anytime the scripture talks about a crown, that molding, it sits above the flat part of the table, it goes all the way around the edge. Anytime it talks about crowns, I always think about Jesus Christ. I think about the fact that the first time he came, he, he wore a crown of thorns. The next time he comes... He's going to wear the diadem, the crown of gold, the, the crown for a king. And so uh, I'm always reminded of that as I take a look at this. Now, this is the second altar. There are two altars with the tabernacle. First altar we talked about last time was the bronze altar. The bronze altar is a picture of the cross, right? We can see that our whole Christian walk, our, our salvation in the tabernacle. How does it happen? Well, we enter through the door. Who's the door? Jesus Christ. As soon as we enter, what do we come to? The bronze altar. The bronze altar is the cross. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is what permits us to enter in in the first place. We're covered in his blood, and that's what took place at the bronze altar. Now, as we go to the golden altar, the golden altar was where the prayers are offered up. Here's what takes place. The bronze altar pictures Jesus' first coming. He came to die. He came to be that sacrifice. The golden altar speaks of his intercessory work today. You want to know where Jesus is at today? He's at the golden altar in heaven. He's at that altar. You, you, maybe you remember the golden altar, that, that place where incense is burned. Revelation chapter 5, Revelation chapter 8. We see them taking incense from the golden altar in heaven. That it always pictures or speaks of prayer. So they're building this unit. It's going to be placed. We'll see where it's going to be placed inside the tabernacle, which always speaks of intercession. Okay. Every time we're talking about incense, we're talking about intercession. What does intercession mean? Someone who stands between. Who stands between us and God? Jesus Christ. He's the one that enables us to have a relationship with him. And so this is pictured in the work of the, the golden altar. Two rings you shall make for it under the molding on both its sides. You will place them on two sides and they will be holders for the poles with which to bear it. And you will make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Now remember, as we look at this, we see pictures of, of the deity of Christ all over the place. Wood in the scripture, because it's living, it's a picture of flesh. 
It's a picture of the flesh. God came in the flesh. Great is the mystery of godliness. We take a look at the fact that God was manifest in the flesh. So the deity, the gold overcovering the acacia, pictures for us his deity and his humanity. Remember also, as we take a look at it, acacia wood, or if you have King James Version, uh, shittim wood, it was probably the wood that was used to make the cross, abundant in and around the area of Jerusalem. So that's what uh, pro- most probably was a part of uh, the cross that Jesus would die on. We see it pictured here as we take a look. Now, it says, Now, and you shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony. Therefore, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. So the golden altar, as you walk in the holy place, okay? We walk past the brazen altar. We come to the bronze labor. We're going to talk about that in a minute where the priests are able to wash their hands after the sacrifice. And then they'd enter into the place of service, into the holy place. As soon as you walk through the one door into the holy place, you would see the golden altar straight in front of you, right in front of the veil. To your right, the table of showbread. To your left, the menorah, the seven-branch candle. The only light that was in the place, there are two sources of light in the tabernacle. One, the menorah. Secondly, the Shekinah glory of, of God in the Holy of Holies. The only place, the only way light would get in. That's it. Those were the two, the two implements of light. So that's going to be placed right in front of the veil. Well, as you consider that, hold your finger there with me and turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 It says, therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. He doesn't need daily as the old high priest to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sin and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. So we see the continuance of the picture of Jesus Christ as our high priest in heaven, offering intercessory prayer for us. The cool thing for me to, re- to remember when I face my you know, daily struggles, daily trials, those hard things, is to, to realize God is so much for us that he is praying for you. Just like he prayed for Peter, remember? Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked that he would sift you as wheat. But what did Jesus say? I have prayed for you. He was still going to go through the trial. He was still going to face the things he was going to face. But God was for him. God was praying for him. Jesus Christ offering up those prayers unto the Father. Lord, keep him. Lord, Hold him. Lord, allow him to, to overcome. And he would even tell Peter, so, so, uh, so anchored in the truth that Peter was going to return. That Peter was going to come back and he was going to strengthen the brethren. So it's, just, it's good for us to recognize that God, Jesus Christ, is praying for you and me. When we face those things, we think nobody cares. God, where are you? He's praying. He's praying. He's not going to take you out. He didn't take Peter out. But he'll pray that you'll be strong. 
And if God is for us, who can be against us? Is that what Paul said? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can stand against that work that God wants to do? Well, listen. There's something else interesting about the golden altar. We come to the book of Malachi as we go through the Old Testament. One day we will get there. We come to the book of Malachi and the scripture ends, ends with a curse. And then God was silent for 400 years. God didn't speak. I mean, he had already spoken through the prophets what would take place in those 400 years. But God doesn't speak to the priests. For four, can you imagine? For 400 years, a high priest goes in, does his service, and God never speaks to him. Now, back when Aaron's, the Lord would give him instruction. The Lord would speak. The Lord would give messages for Moses, things to do. But for 400 years, silence. Until Luke chapter 1. Remember Luke chapter 1? There was a high priest in service, Zacharias. He's in there doing his thing. He's ministering to the Lord and he comes to the golden altar. And there's an angel standing by the golden altar and the 400 years of silence is broken. Right next to the golden altar, the angel Gabriel letting him know, hey, your wife is going to have a son. And when he is born, I want you to name him John, for he is going to go forward in the spirit of Elijah. And he will be the forerunner of the Christ, the forerunner of of the beginning of all things. And you remember, he didn't believe the angel. He kind of argues with him. "Uh, You know, I don't think my wife can have a baby right now. If God says it's going to happen. So he was struck mute. He came out. The people were wondering. Remember we we talked about the high priest. What did he have? He had the bells around the hem of his garment. In between the bells, he had the fruit. Each one of those bells was actually tuned to a different melody. So as he walked, there was this harmony of music. Not just the same clanging, but this harmony that would take place as all the bells rang. And there he is. All of a sudden, the bells are quiet. He's not moving. He's talking to this angel. And the people are wondering, what's going on? He's taking way longer than usual in there. And he comes out and he can't speak. He can't talk. He can't. They're asking him, what happened? What happened? He, can't, he just goes home. All the way to the point where his wife Elizabeth is giving birth. And you remember, as she gives birth, all the people are around trying to pick what name he's going to be named. And she's trying to tell them all, we're going to call him John. And all, you can't call him John. You should name him after his father. You should name him after so and so or such and such. You can't, you can't. And so they go to him. They go to her husband. Hey, uh, what do you say his name shall be? And he takes out a piece of paper and he writes, his name shall be John. And immediately, (laughs) immediately at that moment, he's able to speak. He's able to talk and he glorifies the Lord. So as you're, as you're considering that, as we, as we hold our place here, look at Luke chapter one. I just want to share with you what Zacharias says. Now, uh, his son has been born. He's given the ability to speak again. In uh, chapter 1, verse 67, it says, Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. 
And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, we have been since the, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. That holy covenant is the Abrahamic covenant. The promise to Abraham that the seed of Abraham would one day come. The promise through Abraham that God would provide himself the sacrifice. And so he's prophesying that this would take place. He's, he's laying this out just before Jesus Christ is born. Six months, roughly. We have John the Baptist come on the scene. It says, Now this oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way. Remember what Jesus said about John? No other child born among men was as great as John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of God would be greater than he. John the Baptist was the one to fulfill the prophecy. Remember, the scripture indicated that Elijah would come before the Messiah. And the angel, when he stood before John's father, he said, Hey, listen, your son is coming in the spirit of Elijah. He's a forerunner. He's a forerunner in front of the Christ. But you see, the, the children of Israel would get all tripped up over it. Well, where's real Elijah? Where's the real Elijah? The Bible said he was, he was going to come back. He is. We'll see him in the book of Revelation. When the two witnesses come, we know who one of them is. Elijah, the prophet, going to return and do and fulfill his work that God had called him to. But John was in the spirit of Elijah, a prophet just like Elijah, a prophet with the same attitude and the same spirit, Holy Spirit ministering to him in that way. And where did all that take place? At the golden censer. 400 years of silence, and this piece that we're talking about in the book of Exodus becomes the, the pulpit, the sounding board, the place for which or at which the angel would stand and proclaim this truth. And, and then as, uh, as Zacharias finishes out his, his prophecy, he says, And through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, reference to Christ, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And so John's going to grow and he's going to become that great forerunner to Christ. And as Zacharias prophesies, his son is going to prepare the way. When Jesus comes on the scene, everybody's heart's ready. Why? Because a long time ago, a long time ago, Zacharias learn, study, to go to the golden altar and offer up what? His prayers. For 400 years, prayers have been offered on that censer, and on that day, God answered them. You and I, we pray. Sometimes we pray for things, and, and it doesn't happen. It doesn't seem like God answers our prayers. Maybe we pray at times for justice. Maybe we pray at times that the world would get it right, or that things would come together, and we wonder when that's all going to take place. It's going to take place, Revelation chapter 8. When the Lord grabs a golden censer and fills it with incense, which is the prayer of the saints, and he casts it from heaven to earth, he answers the prayers at that point. 
prayers are all going to be answered. And all things are going to be taken care of. And that all begins with the ministry first here on earth of the golden censer. But it's a picture of the true work of Jesus Christ in heaven as he prays for us. Well, as we look back at Exodus, it says now in verse 7, Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning when he tends the lamps. He shall burn incense on it. So every morning he's going to trim the lamp, the menorah. That candle never goes out. It's always lit, or that lampstand, always the light is never extinguished. So they got to trim the wicks, take care of all that to keep it going. While he's doing that, he's going to offer up prayers as he offers up this incense perpetually. He will burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. It's going to be offered up, and it's going to be offered up for all time. Now look what the Lord says in the next verse. You shall not offer strange incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, nor shall you pour out a drink offering upon it. So they were not to offer, strange, or offer up strange fire. And we're going to read about it in Leviticus. Uh, uh, when we get to Leviticus here in a week or two, when we get there, we're going to see that as we get to that place, uh, Abinadab and, and Nabihu, who are going to come and offer strange fire at the golden altar, and God's going to take their lives. Aaron's sons are going to die in service because they offered strange fire. The fire was always supposed to come from the bronze altar. That fire at the bronze altar would constantly be burning, constantly lit. And so they would go and they would take a coal from the bronze altar. They'd take a coal from the place where the sacrifice was given, that which is holy, and that was the only fire that could be offered to burn the incense at the golden altar. But there comes a time, and it's not very far removed from this, when God's people are, you know, thinking, well, you know, I mean, I don't know, God really means that that's such a big deal. And they just walk in there with their bicks, and they decide they're going to light the incense without using the, the coals from the altar, and God takes their life right there. Because how many ways is there for us to, to go before the Lord? One way. One way. We might look at it and go, man, that's so harsh. Oh, we get the point, don't we? Hopefully we get the point that God's laying out. One way. If I said it, I meant it. That's the way. There's no other way around. There's no other way to work around these things. So they're not to offer strange incense or strange fire on it. And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering... Uh, this is on the day of atonement. Once a year, he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. What does that mean? On the day of atonement, when they made the sacrifice, when he was taking the blood and he would enter all the way into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle it on the mercy seat, when he came by the golden altar, he would put blood on the horns, the four horns, the arms that came up on the four corners of that so that it was made holy for the next year it was covered for the next year and it was something he had to do each and every year to atone for the sins of the people now scripture goes on <clears throat> he says in verse 11 then the lord spoke to moses saying now when you take the census of the children of israel for their number then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the lord when you number them 
that there may be no plague among them when you number them. So after this, the next instruction he's given is to take a census. And this is how the census was always supposed to be taken. You may remember in the book of Samuel, we're going to see David take a census. And a plague is going to come upon the people. And 70,000 people will die because David was disobedient to what God's word said. God said this is the only way to number the people. There's a few reasons for that. As we take a look, we're going to see that God is doing a, a certain work. But the first thing that he wants them to understand is whenever you number, numbering is a privilege of ownership. David didn't own the people. Who owns the people? God. They're God's people. So they weren't to be numbered first to show ownership to, to David, and they were to pay a ransom. This was what would become the temple tax. You remember in Matthew chapter 17, Peter comes to, to Jesus and he says, Hey, Jesus, you know the Pharisees, they asked me if you have paid the, the temple tax. And I said, yeah, we pay the temple tax, don't we? I mean, didn't we pay it? And Jesus says to him, Does the son of the king pay tax to the king? So that was Jesus' way of saying no. And the, the one who made that, that rule or that law is my father. I don't, I, don't have to pay, I don't have to pay that. But he said, but since you've done this, remember? He said, Peter, go down to the sea and dip in a hook and pull out a fish. Open the fish's mouth. Peter was good at that because he was always opening his mouth. Open up the fish's mouth and in it you'll find the money to pay the temple tax. Don't you wish God would do that for us today? Yes. <laughs> when, taxes, when tax time comes and... It, it's time to pay. Oh, Lord, I want to go fishing. I know, there ain't, huh? I go all the time. Every time I fish, I look in the, in the mouth. I have yet to find a fish with money in it. But they found, they had money. It's, uh, the fish in the Sea of Galilee is tilapia. I don't know if you've ever had it. That's the type of fish they have. It's St. Peter's fish. Today, if you go to Israel, when we visit uh, the Sea of Galilee, we'll eat at a restaurant where they'll serve you St. Peter's fish. St. Peter's fish, most people don't want to get it. But it is really good. It just don't look maybe like you're used to fish looking. Because it's all there. Eyeballs, the whole thing. Skin, it's all there. It's all deep fried. Oh my gosh, it's so good. But when it comes to you, when it comes to you, certain people will get St. Peter's fish and in its mouth, you have to look. There will be a shekel for offering for the temple tax. They still do it today. They still do those things down there. So when we go together, we'll, we'll have to enjoy the, see who gets the shekel in our group. That's where this began. So when the people were numbered, they wouldn't go count the people. They would say, hey, it's time. And everyone 20 years, uh, 20 years old and older paid their temple tax. They count the money. They know how many people there are. And you paid that temple tax, it showed that God owns me. It's, it's my redemption, and they would pay that in silver. Let's take a look as the, as the story goes on. This is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give. Half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is a 20 geras. The half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. 
So they're going to give a half shekel. It's a half shekel of silver. Everyone included among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. Why? To count the people they had to pay. When they paid, it showed God owns me. It also taught them something. Salvation has a price. Now, a lot of people want to think think that they can somehow pay that price. How often did the people have to give the temple tax? Every year. Over and over and over and over. They would continue to do it. Why? Because they could never pay what was required. Who would pay what was required? Jesus Christ would. The point is that we would realize there's value, folks, in in the sacrifice that Jesus made. In Hebrews chapter 6, I I remember when I was backslidden and doing all kind of nutty things in the world. Hebrews chapter 6, someone used to bring me back. The pastor in North Carolina in a, in a little church in, um, in Midway Park. He laid out for me this, this story. Hebrews chapter 6. What's it say? It says that, that in essence, Jackie paraphrased, I don't want to be guilty of trampling the blood of Jesus Christ like it's nothing. I don't want to look at the sacrifice of Jesus like that was just some little thing. It was a huge thing. And when we sin willfully, we're trampling the blood of Jesus. When we are not giving honor to the Lord's table in communion, we're trampling the blood of Jesus. When we're not attaching worth to what God has done, we're trampling through the blood. And I don't want to be that person who's trampling through the blood. How is God teaching his people the value of the sacrifice? By taking the census once a year. They would, play, they would pay, look at the picture. They would pay a half a shekel of silver. What was all that silver used for? All that silver was used to make the sockets in which the boards of the tabernacle were placed. You remember what the boards of the tabernacle symbolized? The boards of the tabernacle symbolized you and I. Peter would talk about the fact that you and I, we're the building materials, the building blocks with which God is building his temple. And when we are saved, when we come to a place of salvation, what takes place no longer is that wood attached to the ground in roots. Now that wood is set in a socket, in a groove, in a chunk of silver. And it's in the world, but not of the world. It's in the world, but it's not touching the world. It's separated by silver pointing to redemption. And so the whole concept going through this temple tax, being numbered, being willing to say to God, He owns me. I don't own myself. He bought me with a price. The price of that sacrifice. And in that sacrifice, I find redemption. And, and it, we can see that as we go through, as we, if we're willing to take a look, open our eyes to see that the Scripture oftentimes is laying out for us more than just what we see, more than just words on a page. What picture is God painting? What illustration is He giving us so that we can understand His work of salvation in our life? Because these people did this for you and me to be able to read and study and realize what God has done for us. What God has done, is doing, and will continue to do. Not rooted in the earth, but rather rooted in the redemption of Jesus Christ through His blood. It says everyone in verse 14, I'm sorry, verse 15, The rich shall not give more, the poor shall not give less. 
Half a shekel when you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. It didn't go up or down based on how much money you had, how little you had. Why? Because it's the same. Redemption is the same for everyone. It's all wrought the same way. It's not more for one or less for another. It's all uh, equal, all the same. And you will make the atonement money of the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting, that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. What's he saying? It's going to become an illustration for you to teach your kids. You're going to take your kids to the tabernacle. They're going to say, Dad, Dad, wow, that's pretty cool. How come all that's set in sockets of silver? What's that mean? Why is this linen fence here? Why is the linen fence set in, in, in brass? Why is the linen hanging on silver? Why the different materials? It's not just random. When they would bring their children in, they could teach them all those points. They could begin to lay out for them what it was all about because they knew what the silver was for. The silver was redemption. So the righteousness, our righteousness, righteousness of God is anchored or held in redemption. Through judgment, the bronze altar which pointed to the cross. So they would be able to begin to teach their children what took place. What's this all about? What does this all mean? It becomes a memorial for them. Just like the, the things that take place in our lives become a memorial for us to teach our kids. Otherwise, what's the point? What's the point of going through the things we go through if we're never going to sit down with our kids and say, yeah, listen, this is my God story. This is what God did. We're supposed to teach them. That's why everywhere the children of Israel went, God said, make a pile of 12 stones. For what? Well, because you just don't look like you have enough to do. So I want you to go get 12 stones, make a pile. No, he made that pile. What was the point of that pile? So that when their children said, hey, why is that pile of stones there? It worked as a memorial so that they could tell them the story. Why did they keep Passover? Passover. Every part of Passover was what? An example to teach their kids what God had done for them through Egypt in the Exodus. And it works for you and I to give us examples of what God did through His Son, Jesus Christ, as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So we see all these things in this census. All these things taking place. <clears throat> then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, now we get to the next part. You also, you shall also make a laver of bronze with its base also of bronze for washing. And you shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and you shall put water in it. You know what's cool about the bronze laver? No dimensions. You do a search sometime for what the bronze laver looked like. Man. You get a hundred different things from something that looked like a bird bath to some giant piece of, of brass that had a spigot on it on the bottom so you could turn the spigot and water would run out on your feet and, and another spigot so water would, would run out. And nobody knows what it looked like. Were dimensions given? No. Because there's no end to God's ability to cleanse. There's no end to it. You know the cool thing? When you get to heaven, you know what it says? This was also called the bronze sea. The bronze sea. When you get to heaven, it says there is no more sea. Why? Because there's no more need for cleansing. You and I, we're, we're cleansed at the bronze altar. We're cleansed at the cross. Our sins are paid for, right? But don't we need cleansing a little bit every day? 
I mean, our sins are paid for, truly. But when we sin, what does 1 John 1, 9 say? Zippity doo da. Look at that. You're going to have this big patch of silence on the CD. Anyway, <laughs> Jesus pictured it for us in John chapter 13. What did he do? You remember they sat down and had a meal. And at the end of the meal, as the disciples were all arguing about who's, most, who's going to be voted most valuable disciple, he got up and he went and he girded himself with a towel and he took a basin of water and he went around and did what? Washed each one of their feet. When he came to Simon, what did, what did Peter say? Oh, no, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. Well, in that case, wash all of me, Lord. Wash me from head to my toes. Jesus said, Peter, I always got to keep you in the front of the class, man. You're, you're, you're always my, my challenging student. He says, no, Peter, you have already been cleansed by the word that I spoke to you. Peter, you're, you're already saved. Just your feet are dirty. Just need to clean your feet. He's not talking about a work of salvation. Listen, we're already saved. We're saved at the bronze altar. But in service, in life, in this world, don't we get dirty? And we got to go to the bronze labor and allow the water of the word of God to wash us clean. All throughout our day, we go through things and, and junk comes into our head and it's a part of our life and, and we can start to become cynical or whatever about the things we are dealing with. And so we have to come to God's Word. we got to come to God's Word every day. How will a young man cleanse his way? Psalm 119. By paying heed to your Word, O Lord. For your Word is a light into my, to my what? Light into my path and a... Light to my feet. That's why I was messing up path and feet. Lamp. Whatever. You get the point, right? That God's word is that which is going to cleanse us. It's going to guide us. It's going to direct us. And if we are unable, if we are unable to take God's word and allow God's word to wash us, there's a problem at the altar. Because it's the natural man that can't understand the things of the spirit. Not the spiritual man. Well, I go into Word and I just, I just can't get anything out of it. Man, you, you should be getting something out of it. You open God's Word, but you, gotta, you can't just open God's Word and go, Man, I read a whole verse today. Man, we got to pour God's Word in. we got to pour God's Word into our life. we got to pour God's Word into the lives of our children. There's this story about, I think it's Elijah, 
There's a story about Elijah hanging out with a bunch of other prophets and they decide to get together and make stew. And they make this stew and it is nasty. Elisha. There's nasty stew. Horrible, horrible stew. In fact, they say there's death in the pot. It's so bad. So that's not compliments. We're not going to the chef. And Elijah took the meal and he sprinkled meal into this stew and it became edible. And I think the picture that God's painting there is the, the bread, that which sustains us, the word. What are you going to do? Oh, there's death in the pot. Well, let's try to get the death out. Let's get a strainer. And can you strain the, what tastes bad out of soup? I don't think you can do that. I once tried to save tea. Did anybody ever brew sweet tea? Am I the only one to ever do it? So you cook it. I cook it. And that way the sugar all cooks in too, make it real sweet. So if you ever come to my house for tea, that's what you're going to get. So you better ask for it. If you don't want sugar, you better say something. Because mm, it's good though. So we made this sweet tea and one of the, one of the bags of tea popped. And little, man, you can't drink tea like that. It's like, it's like, well, it's like cowboy coffee, isn't it? Yeah, I don't want, I don't want all them kernels of coffee in there. So I got this brilliant idea and I, and I got a strainer and I put a coffee filter in it. And I took that pile of tea and I tried to pour it through that. Man, I just turned one mess into another. (laughs) Didn't work at all. Because we can't take it out. Listen, this is what I mean. People say, well, what, my gosh, what am I going to do with my kids? My kids are in school and they're having all this bad influence, negative influence in their life and they're making choices and decisions. And what can I take away? What should I pull out of their life? And well, you need to pray about that. But what you need to be doing is pouring the word of God in. If you pour the word of God in, there's not death in the pot anymore. Now you're pouring in life. And that's what we, we want to be doing. We want to be washed in water of God's word. I got to allow the water of God's word to pour in my life, to become a part of my life. If I don't do that, if I'm not making that a part of my children's life, a part of my life, a part of Kathy's life, it's not very long before our thinking gets all messed up. We all know people who walk with the Lord and, and at one time maybe we're, we're even on fire for Him, but, but little by little by little they kind of drifted away. What happened? Well, if you go back, I can promise you there's a point where the Word of God stopped being poured in. And when the Word of God is not being poured in, it's not very long before the world takes over. We don't need to be saved again. We just need to be cleansed. And it's important that we realize no size limit to the bronze labor. There's no, you're not going to extinguish God's ability to cleanse you. That's what he's saying. There's not going to be a point where you can't, oh, it came and the, it, there's no water to wash. And think about this. Bronze labor made out of bronze. Bronze, always a picture of judgment. That judgment, what, kind, what was the bronze labor made of? The mirrors of the women. They took all the women's mirrors. They gave them. Free will offering, they gave these mirrors that they had received in Egypt, the mirrors that could be used for self, mirrors to look at self concerning beauty, and they put all those into the, to the bronze labor. And this bronze labor, I'm sure it was, was a beautiful thing to behold. And if you were to go look at it, what would it show? Reflect your face. What does that remind us of? What does the law do? The Bible says, 
The law, God's word, is a mirror, not a flashlight. Some of us need to remember that. We'll read the word of God and we'll say, Oh yeah, you know, that's for you. Do you hear what I said? That's you. The word of God is a mirror. It shows me. Doesn't show them. It shows me. And probably if that's if that's sticking out to me, that's something that I need to apply. That's something that I need to hold on to. Word of God is a mirror. It's a mirror. What does the law show us? Our inability to keep it. Bronze speaks of judgment. If there was not the water between me and the bronze, all there is is judgment. What did the water do? The water washed it clean. It washed off the filth. It washed off the dirt. Sin washed away. Washed away because of what? Because the grace of God. It does that work in our life. It, 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 it brings us to the place where we can set aside the judgment. The law, apart from the law, I would not know sin. That's what Paul said. And now I know sin. Now I understand that Paul said his problem was coveting. I would not have understood covetousness if I hadn't read, Thou shalt not covet. But he said that's a, a thing that works in my life. And when I look in the bronze labor, I see it. And I'm a, I can take the water of God's word and wash me clean. How? I confess it to the Lord. I, confession simply means I agree. You understand that, right? Lord, I agree with you, this is sin. That's why it's a problem for people who say, well, that's not sin, you can't judge me. Well, you're disagreeing, you're not disagreeing with me, you're disagreeing with God. In order to be cleansed, I have to agree with the Lord. So I agree with Him. Lord, this is sin, it's a problem in my life. I can see it in the bronze labor, and the water of the Word of God will wash it off of me. The Bible also says, what kind of man is it that looks into a mirror and sees the dirt on his face and walks away and forgets what was on his face? That's a guy, that unrepentant, that, that heart that has not found that, that place of, of salvation at the, at the bronze altar. The natural man, oh, yeah, I'm dirty, whatever. See ya. That's, uh, that's that delineation. That's that difference. So we want to be able to, to be cleansed. No size given. <clears throat> so we go on. They will wash their hands and their feet lest they die. And it shall be a statute forever to them. Verse 21. And his descendants throughout their generation. So they're always going to be washing. Before they can enter into service. Before they can enter into that right place where they could come ultimately to the holy of holies a place of worship before they could come to that they had to deal with confession they had to be washed they had to be cleansed not saved washed we're washed in the water of god's word and we want to allow that to be a part of our life i, I heard one, someone share one time i don't remember where i was but that we ought to learn how to make a sandwich out of our day what's that mean we have word of god in the morning Everything in the middle and a word of God at the end. We allow that word of God sandwich. God's word is going to help us grow, help us stand strong, help us learn, help us move forward. We can set that Bible on our nightstand and, and, and never look at it again or leave it in a car or, or, or whatever. But the word of God, 
The Word of God is what's going to equip us to go on. If we're going to go on, that's where it's going to be found. Study in the Word of God. That's why everything that I do is going to be built around that. We're going to study the Word of God on Sunday morning. We're going to study it on Sunday night. We're going to study it on Wednesday night. We get together for a, a candle lighting service tomorrow. Guess what? We're going to study the Word of God. Well, it won't be as long, though. Don't worry. But we're going to study, we're going to study the Word of God. We're going to pour the Word of God in. And allow God's word to do that perfect work in our life. Well, now he goes on. Now also you shall take for yourself quality spices. 500 shekels of liquid myrrh. uh, Half as much sweet smelling cinnamon. 250 shekels. 250 shekels of sweet smelling cane. 500 shekels of cassia according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And a hin of olive oil. And you shall make from these the holy anointing oil... which is an, uh, an ointment compounded according to the art of the perfumer, and it shall be a holy anointing oil. Now, how many people, we look at that and we think, oh, what happens if I make some of that today? Well, pay attention. <laughs> With it, you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the table and all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of the burnt offering with all its utensils, the laver and its base. You will consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall speak to the children of Israel saying, This shall be holy anointing oil to me throughout your generation. It shall not be poured on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it according to its composition. It is holy and it shall be holy to you. God said, don't make it for nothing else. Now, what is oil throughout the scripture? What is oil a picture of? Holy Spirit. The anointing of the Holy Spirit. And here we see in this oil, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Who's going to be anointed? The prophet, priest, king, and all the implements used within the tabernacle. But oil was never to be poured out on man's flesh. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit is never going to be able to work with man's flesh. The flesh and the spirit, they're in opposition to one another. You can't have one accomplishing the other. The spirit is not going to glorify the flesh. The flesh has got to be dealt with. The flesh has got to be something that, that's dealt with. What in the, in the priest, in the sacrifice, flesh was dealt with. For you and I, our flesh is dealt with at the cross. Our flesh is dealt with in the daily cleansing in the water of God's word. Our flesh needs to be dealt with if we want the spirit to move. But listen to this. Nor shall you make anything like it. We're not supposed to try to copy the work of God's spirit. God's spirit is God's spirit. He moves and he doesn't move. Sometimes he moves one way. Sometimes he moves another way. I remember when when me and my brothers were little kids. We had this one night... We were monkeying around and we had so much fun playing this little made-up game that we had. I mean, we laughed all night long. We got hollered at, you know, three or four times from mom and dad. Go to bed, go to bed, go to bed. Stop making so much racket, all that stuff. We just had so much fun. The next day, we tried to make the same thing happen. But it didn't happen. It just wasn't the same. Whatever reason, 
But to me, that's an example of what the move of the Spirit is. Some people today try to work up a move of the Spirit, and so they try to copy the oil. They try to copy this anointing oil. Well, this is what you do, this is what you do, this is what you do, this is what happens. But the Spirit of God moves how the Spirit of God moves. And we're not supposed to try to duplicate it. We're not supposed to try to to work all that stuff out. Rather, we're to allow the the Spirit of God to do the anointing, the Spirit of God to do the work. We're not supposed to manufacture a work of the Spirit. That's done. God does it. God makes it happen. I'm not afraid of it, but I'm not going to work it up. I'm not going to try to make something happen. If God wants to move in His Spirit, we're going to give God the space to move in His Spirit. But we're not going to try uh, just to manufacture something. Now he says, whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, will be cut off from his people. The Lord said to Moses, now take sweet spices, stacte, and onicha, and galbanum, and pure frankincense with these sweet spices, there shall be equal amounts of each. And you shall make of these an incense, a compound according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. And you shall beat some of it very fine and put some of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. But as for the incense which you shall make, you shall not make any for yourselves according to its composition. It shall be to you holy for the Lord." completely and totally into him whoever makes any like it to smell it he shall be cut off from his people so again the lord is laying this out these things are holy committed to the lord committed unto him that's his picture we're not supposed to mess with it we're not supposed to make it be whatever we want it to be we're to allow it to be what it wants to be but i want you i don't want you to miss as we've gone through we're done with all the implements within the tabernacle we're done with all those things, but did you see how it was going to be made? According to the, to the art or the work of the perfumer. And how's the bronze labor going to be made? According to the craftsmanship that God has gifted the worker with. Just look at one verse in chapter 31 before we finish up tonight. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, sorry, two verses. See, I have called by name. Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship to design artistic works. He's the one who's going to... That's why when you go places, you have artistic rendering, everybody sees it different. God gave the measurements and the materials and how it was to be put together. But the, your artistic ability was yours. It was your God's gift to you to utilize to make this for Him. And I don't want you to lose the fact that as we look, and we'll talk more about him next time, Bezalel, God knew his name. What had Bezalel done up until this point? Not a thing. Nothing. Maybe he thought, I don't really have anything to give the Lord. You know, all I know how to do is work with my hands. You know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good guy, artist, you know, I draw things. I remember my kids used to sit around. Joe still loves to do this to this day. Just sit down and draw pictures all day long. That's all. Just drawing pictures. But there was a purpose for that. It's a gifting of God. The Lord knew his name and said, 
I not only do I know his name, I know his dad's name, I know his grandpa's name. I know his family line. I know everything there is to know about him because he's God's. You know, God knows the same about you too, right? Where you come from, where you're going, how you got where you are, he knows it all. And there's a a point that we have to understand, and that is simply this. Romans, I think it's Romans chapter 9, the Lord lays out for us, the giftings and callings of God are irrevocable. He don't take his gifts away. Don't ever believe the part where people say, yeah, but if you don't, lose, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. That's bunk. If you don't use it, it'll get a little, I don't know, rusty. But we can bust it loose. I've seen people, though, that God, I, the best example of this I know is this, is this young man named Edward. Actually, he's renting my house in California. When he was in fifth grade, I was doing uh, junior high youth group at the time, and I went in, and here's this long-haired kid, you know, and uh, he's got quite the, 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 the life story. Maybe one day you get a chance to hear it from him, but a lot of things that he was, had gone through in life, but he played guitar. And so I had my electric guitar there, and we were kind of tinkering around. And I says, well, show me, play me something. So he says, okay. So he, he, in fifth grade, he breaks out Jimi Hendrix's renderance of uh, um, the national anthem. Now, that's not here nor there, but the point is, that, that kid was flying all over the stinking neck on that guitar. Flying all over it. That guy... Did not you ask him what's what's an E? I don't know. No idea what a note is, how a chord is. He just knows where to put his finger so it sounds good. He's gifted. He is a young man now. He's uh, twenty-four, I think. He is took my place in worship at at JS, and and when I went back, when I went to go see my grandbaby, I got a chance to play with him. So I was teaching him a song. Do you know how I taught him a song? We sat down and I put a CD on and I played the song. In maybe 15 seconds, he already had the solo just like the guy was playing it. He, all he had to do was hear it and he could play it. Now some people have gifts. More than that, Everyone has gifts. Some people have gifts like that that we'd all like to say, hey, God, give me that tomorrow. That'd be really cool. I'd love to have that. But we all have a gift. We all have a purpose, a part. Paul said we're all parts within the same body, didn't he? He said we're all supposed to do what each of us can supply to the body. Within your body, there's a lot of parts within your body that that you're never going to see and nobody's ever going to applaud. But you still need them. And if something's wrong with them, boy, do you know it, huh? You get some, some blockage in your kidney, I promise you, you're going to go, Woo, oh, I have a kidney? And it's making noise right now. So there are parts of our body that are never seen, yet the work that they do are just as vital. And so as we look, we're, we'll get more into it next time, but God knows the name, the point, the purpose. He gifted them, and they built the tabernacle, and no one... No one, unless God gives them the exact same anointing that he gave Bezaliel, is going to be able to show you exactly what it looked like. Because it's what God gave him. God gave him the ability 
to see in his mind and picture what God tried to describe to Moses from the heavenly scene. By the way, we talked about the golden censer. Do you know where it is in heaven? Right in front of the throne. The throne, otherwise known as the mercy seat. The place where God rules and reigns from, right in front of that. Just like in the tabernacle, was the place for us to offer up prayer. So throughout it all, we see God's fingerprint, God's message to you and I. Amen? Why don't we stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for this time. We thank you for an opportunity to study your word, Lord. We thank you for the truth, God, that there's no better way for you to illustrate to us these these matters of salvation, redemption, justification, sanctification, than for you to paint it for us in a picture book. Here's what this did. Here's what that did. Lord, I just pray that you would help each of us have eyes to see, a willingness to to understand and to know exactly what you're doing and, 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 and what you've done, and that we would hold on, grasp, allow the water of your word to wash us clean, to cleanse us, to see that, wow, way back in Exodus, this plan was already all laid out. The same things that we experience, it's there. May we remember, Lord, that when you were walking with those on the road to Emmaus, the scripture says that you began at Moses... And taught him all the things about the Christ. How he was to suffer and die. You showed it all to him in these very scriptures that we read. So God help us have eyes to see and a heart willing to receive and understand. Help us to apply your truth that we might walk in wisdom. Help us to to be able to go forward in our world. and, And to realize and to recognize the work of the Spirit in our life. The giftings and callings that you've given us, Lord, may we desire to walk in them, that we might honor and glorify you in all we do. We lay this out before you, Father, and we just ask your blessing on it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm gonna go-